The Start On Demand. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Brett McGarry back in the saddle. Uh, great to have you aboard. Taxi owners, as we know, have uh, been upset about the proposal to bring ride sharing to uh, Winnipeg. I think that's an understatement, Brett. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been protesting and they had their say at City Hall. Well, their com- the conversation isn't over yet. They have filed an injunction in light of ride-sharing being approved to operate in Winnipeg starting March 1st. And to weigh in on that, here's Shadow Davis. Good morning. So I was listening to the news with Richard and Julie Friday afternoon on the way out to Peter Quiatic's Christmas house in Transcona. Traffic was terrible, by the way, and I did see more than one taxi straddling lanes, which is one of my biggest traffic pet peeves. One little car taking up two lanes. And they had Scott McFadden on. He's the spokesperson for the Taxi Cab Coalition. And when asked directly, have you filed suit against the province or anybody else? Scott said, at this point, no, we have not. But later on that night, the owners of Duffy's and Unicity did, in fact, file suit and are seeking an injunction to stop ride-sharing from coming to Winnipeg. In a statement of claim that was, in fact, filed on Friday evening, the cab owners are attempting to use the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms by saying the new law introduced last month by the province, the Local Vehicles for Hire Act, discriminates against them. Here's what the statement says. As a result of the particular market conditions and nature of the taxi industry in the city of Winnipeg, the current holders of taxi business licenses are overwhelmingly male, immigrants to Canada, and of South Asian ethnicity. The purpose of the Local Vehicles for Hire Act is to radically alter the existing taxi cab industry in the city of Winnipeg and allow for companies operating through ride-sharing arrangements to compete with existing taxi cab operators. Correct. The way I see it, that is the point. Competition is good in almost every situation, makes you play better. In the statement of claim, Unicity and Duffy said they should be repaid for the loss in value to their taxi licenses, as well as to their livelihood, saying the province acted in bad faith. The province says they'll reserve comment until they see the details of the statement. I'd like to know what they mean when they talk about taxi license holders being mostly from South Asia. Are they suggesting this is a racial issue? Seriously? They're going to stoop to that now? That's how I understand it. If you want to put that piece of information in a statement of claim, then submit it to the Court of Queen's Bench, it sounds like you're inferring racism on the government of Manitoba. No fear. Okay, guys, I understand. You're frightened that your business is going to be taken away. You're concerned about being able to feed your families and about paying the bills. You're concerned the considerable investment you've made for those licenses is now diminished. Here's the thing. There's nobody saying that's going to happen. We haven't seen evidence of that yet. Just because you have a little competition coming your way, you scream, you yell, you protest, you threaten, and finally file suit using racism and the alteration of the taxi industry. How about upping your game some? We talked about this last week. How about getting off your phone while you're driving the car? Bluetooth or not, it is a large concern to your customer. Drive better. Pay closer attention to the traffic situation. Know where you're going. Make sure your car is impeccable. Make sure it smells like cookies baking. Listen to the customer instead of blaring music that we don't want to hear. We aren't just paying for a ride. We are paying for the experience of the ride. And if you scare the hell out of us or annoy us, we aren't going to want to use you again. Up until now, we haven't had much of a choice. But come March 1st, we will. Filing a lawsuit against the people of Manitoba will not help your cause. 
Your number one job right now is to get us on your side, not crying to the courts with a flimsy case. It's time to sink or swim, fellas. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Sort of highlights the whole idea in my mind, uh, Brett, last week when we had the uh, head of the, the Taxi Coalition on this program. Part of their concern was... Uh, for the drivers, the Uber drivers, and that they wouldn't have shields and that, you know, this was going to be an unsafe situation. And I, and I called McFadden out on it. I said, really, you're concerned about the safety of the Uber drivers? I don't really think that this is where this is coming from. This is a desperate attempt to hold on to a business whose days are numbered, not just in Winnipeg, but across North America and around the world. I think I blew Brett McGarry's eardrum. <laughs> During news there, because, you know, we chit-chat during the news. We are listening to Jeff Braun's news somewhat, and to a certain extent. So it's like, Chris Farley, oh, and we have the script right in front of us here. How many years since Chris Farley died? I'm thinking five, ten. Scroll up. (laughs) Twenty years. Just about lost. That just seems almost impossible, Brett, that it's 20 years since Chris Farley passed away. I know. I can't believe it. It's been 20 years. um, Guys, I still remember going to see, they mentioned the movies Black Sheep and Tommy Boy. Mm -hmm. I remember going to see Tommy Boy and just laughing hysterically with my friends. It doesn't seem that long ago, but yeah, it's... It's been a long time since we lost Chris Farley. So for a day, uh, for a movie that included David Spade, it seems impossible that Black Sheep was so funny. Well, they 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 worked so well together. I think they really did. Yeah, like David Spade on his own, I can I take him or leave him. G- generally, leave him. He's a good supporter. Yeah, He's a good supporting actor. Yeah, you know, in these roles, but. and they, that's why they worked so nicely together. I think because Chris Farley was such a goof, he was such a a bumbling fool. So Spade, who his best thing was his sarcasm, right? He just had that kind of constantly annoyed look and sound, and so they were a good uh, team. But yeah, twenty years, man, it is uh, it is one of those. Oh my goodness, time is. Moving quickly. And speaking of milestones, we want to give a shout out to our uh, now former colleague here at 680 CJB, Mike McIntyre, who signed off on Crime and Punishment for the very last time last night here on our radio station. And Mike, uh, you're probably uh, sleeping in a little bit today or, well, actually knowing Mike, he's out hustling a story he's writing for uh, doing sports now for the Winnipeg Free Press and doing a fantastic job at it. I just wanted to pass along... uh, Personally, my congratulations and my regrets that uh, your show won't be on the station anymore. Uh, It kind of was revolutionary radio to a great extent, something that I don't think had ever really been done before. Yeah, it was a show that was across the Chorus Radio Network. It was on the radio station when I got here back in 2004, and I still remember quite fondly. There was uh, he was talking on his show. Uh, he made a joke that uh, only his grandmother or someone calls him refers to him as Michael. McIntyre. So uh, when I did my sports cast at the bottom of the hour, I said, uh, "Now back coming up in in a few moments, back to crime and punishment with Michael McIntyre." And he had a big smile, and uh, he used to talk wrestling and stuff. He's a big wrestling fan, so yeah, he's uh, he's done so much great work in this uh, radio station and this community, and wish him all the best. Yeah, wish him all the best. Someone else uh, that I don't think we can talk enough about in our community that's doing amazing things is uh, Peter Quiet. Winnipeggers came through, you came through big time to honor Pam's Christmas wish this holiday season, and it was on fine display on Friday night. It's the third annual campaign in partnership with our core stations and Global News raised 
1,850 pounds of food and more than $3,900 cash for Winnipeg Harvest. And this fundraiser was started by Peter Quietic after his wife Pam died after battling cancer in 2015. Quietic and his wife always decorated their Transcona home on Kildare at Hoka to spread the holiday cheer. But after Pam died, he wanted to make her wish come true to light up the home for charity. Now, the lights display is a true labor of love. It takes more than 300 hours of decorating after Halloween. On Saturday, the team from Freightliner Manitoba delivered three pallets of food to Winnipeg Harvest. And Peter spoke with Hal Anderson on Saturday morning, and Hal asked, what would Pam think of all this? Uh, now you want to get emotional again. <laughs> you know, like I tell everybody, it's it was, it was a dream of hers, and to make it happen. Um, like I said last night to, to all the people that were here from Global, CGOB, Freight Buyers. Uh, I'm sure, I know, I'm not sure, I know in my heart that she's looking down and she's smiling. You know, there's certain signs, I don't want to sound kind of weird, but there's certain signs that I see with the display that I know she's she's present. Yep, and nothing weird about that, man. I have those same, no. I have those same uh, feelings. Uh, sometimes it comes in the form of a smell. Sometimes it comes in the form of a sound or a song. But you're right. Exactly. The, the people that we've lost are with us always. I I believe that one hundred percent. No, it's it is so true, Hal. You know, and I say the the people that that were coming from Transcona, St. James. East Cologne, North Cologne. It was it was just amazing, and the staff from Global, Mike, Jeremy, Eva, just Kelly Moore. He was just awesome. The street team, Freightliner. You know, I, I I don't have the words to to thank them as as I'd like to. It's it was just a great great evening, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I could go on forever with with how it went last night. <laughs> Uh, now gotten to know Peter a little bit, Brett. Unfortunately, you not being here on Friday, uh, Peter sat in the chair I'm sitting in right now. And when we were done our conversation, he hugged me like a son. It was very uh, emotional, very powerful to meet Peter face to face. Of course, we'd heard his story and I'd interviewed him on the phone last year, but never met him face to face. And then I took the boys after going to see the Star Wars movie on Friday night, took them by the house. My boys were overwhelmed to to see the work that Peter puts in to this, overwhelmed to see the response from from the public, including, and there's one lady out there and she knows who she is. I'm not going to share her name, but there's one lady who left a check for $1,000. Wow. And uh, we were present when that uh, discovery was made back in, in, in the landing of Peter's house at the side door. It was kind of neat to be standing there when Eva Kovacs goes, God, can somebody else read and confirm that this is a $1,000 check? And sure enough, it was. So uh, once again, to everyone involved, it's fantastic. 503 Kildare West. I mean, in the dark, you, you can't miss it from about a mile away. So uh, go by and check it out, uh, Labor of Love. And uh, Peter has just become really part of our Christmas here at 680 CGOB Global Winnipeg. Yeah, indeed. The, uh, the This is for uh, Pam's wish. I mean, it's always been... as. For years, he's been lighting up his home like that, and it's always been like I, said, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. It was it's always my kind of unofficial 
All right, it's Christmas time. That day, that house is ready, uh, but it's such an impressive display. Did you happen to ask him what his hydro bill is? No. Well, this is how this all started, right? Was Shadow, her, you know, being a Transcona boy, uh, knew about this house, and Shadow uh, wanted to figure out if we could find a way to pay his hydro bill. Okay. <laughs> for the month of December, and that's how essentially how this relationship started between Peter and then Global Winnipeg and and CJOB. So uh, Shadow uh, played a gigantic role in connecting the dots, and the hydro bill was the impetus for for everything that's come. So uh, interesting that you should ask that question. Brett McGarry's back in the saddle again. Greg Mackling here, Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun joining us in studio. And of course, behind the glass, Jerry. We're going to have some coffee and talk about holiday movies. And uh, finally, someone with some power to impose the will of the people has spoken up. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has settled a debate that seems to arise around this time every single year. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? The Prime Minister was asked that question in an interview the other day, and his answer was, yes, it is. But we knew that already, right, Brett? Well, of course, the the couch potatoes have been championing this for Absolutely. Part of a decade now. You get in a fight with, every, with somebody at least once a year over it. <laughs> well, I got into a little bit of a Twitter back and forth with someone that we all know yesterday. Yesterday, and you know, uh, this person voiced concern that the prime minister would take any time to voice this. And I said, I think the larger question is, when did the prime minister anoint himself as one of the couch potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> so that received some response as well. So he's been called worse, <laughs> no question. So let's talk about our favorite holiday films. And we are getting a ton of text messages, as we always do. Uh, feedback on your favorite holiday film, and the very first one that came in at. Seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Not surprisingly, perhaps, and fittingly, Brett was Elf. Yep, that's right. The the Will Ferrell film. Uh, the the quote. All right, people. Ten a.m. tomorrow morning. Santa's coming to town. Santa. <laughs> so, uh, but why don't we go around the horn here? Shanley Vidal, what is your? favorite Christmas? Uh, well, this is a movie I just watched this past weekend at my annual holiday horror fest. It is a classic from, I believe, 1984. Christmas carolers. Screeching voice. No. Blue snippers. That, of course, is the classic Gremlins. Of course. Mm. And if you don't know the story, if you haven't seen it, um, basically little Billy, he's not little, he's actually in university, gets a (laughs) mogwai for Christmas, and there are three rules. No bright light. Don't don't feed them after midnight. Don't get them wet. And don't get them wet. And don't feed them after midnight is the biggest thing. And, of course... But when does that end, and when does, like... Every minute of the day is technically after midnight. We or, we were having is it midnight to six. We were that having a debate, anyway. and and I think it has to be midnight in in your own time zone because yeah. if if you feed them after midnight, then they're going to go into cocoons, and then they're going to turn into gremlins, and they're going to wreak havoc in this city, and they're going to go to the the movie theater and watch Snow White and all sorts of crazy things. 
Gremlins is a great film, so good for you for picking that. I always forget about that as a Christmas movie. I haven't seen that in years. And in that scene just now, they were actually dressed up as Christmas carolers. Now, I thought you I thought you were going to pick Santa's sleigh. I did actually watch that over the weekend at the Holiday Horror Fest for the first time. Spelled S L A Y. That one's a Canadian film, which I didn't realize. It I think it was shot around uh, Edmonton, I believe, and and there's all these really neat Canadian references in it. There, there's curling. There's they mentioned Winnipeg. Pig. So it was that one was a fun film, but not for the faint of heart. And that Bill Goldberg, what an actor! Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's he's right up there with Rubble. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Moore. Well, just a quick uh, history on this one. I was on the road in Salt Lake City, and uh, it was I remember it was a Friday night. I had nothing to do, so I went to a movie, and I stumbled upon this. Claro que yo pensar que tu dices na, mas en natal so, queria saber. Oh, pelo amor de Deus, diz que sim, minha parvalhona. Thank you. That will be nice. Yes, this being my answer. Uh, one of the great scenes from Love Actually, and I know I'm going to attract all kinds of scorn. I really don't care. I love this movie. Why would you get scorn for that? Oh, There's already just, a text message that says that. Oh, is that right? Okay, you, usually, usually, oh, Love Actually, that might be the worst you Christmas movie You surprised me, Kelly. You're such yeah. a softie. Yeah, Look at that. Just, love uh, Actually. I, I, I went right, as soon as I saw it, I went right back to my hotel room, and I phoned my wife up, and I said, we have to get this movie. Were you sobbing at the time? Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, sure. No, but it was, yeah, fun movie to watch. BTG, Jerry? Well, you know, uh, I love Christmas movies, and so it's it's kind of like trying to pick your favorite child. Um, but <laughs> it really just came down to uh, which one do I watch, and I have to watch every year. There's a few of them, and this one, I think, just uh, won out by about an inch. In the heat of battle, my father wove a tapestry of obscenity that as far as we know, is still hanging in space over Lake Michigan. It's a Christmas story. Oh. And the reason that one just won out by an inch is because that's the only one I've actually read the book to. So I've read the book. Oh, well done. Did you watch it last night on the book. Christmas Story Live last night? No, I didn't. I, didn't I saw it. 10 seconds of that and it was painful. That was brutal. Must have been when Ralphie had his tongue froze into the pole. No, it was just a musical. Ugh. Watch the real one. What's yours? Oh, sorry. I was going to interject a text message here before I go to Jeff here. One of my favorite Christmas movies is The Family Man with Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone. Kind of a bit mushy, but a great movie for the whole family. And who doesn't like Nicolas Cage? Everybody loves Lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> the couch potatoes. His family. Dean, that's a great suggestion, though, from Dean. Uh, the Family Man is a good movie. It is a good he, movie. He, he plays this uh, rich guy who kind of gets uh, dropped into what his life would have been like had he not broken up with Taylioni and... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I highly recommend it. So, Dean, thank you for reminding us of that. Uh, before I get to my favorite, I would like to say I just I watched a new Christmas movie this year. Every year I try to watch one I've not seen before, and this year I watched Christmas with the Cranks. 
and it is by far the worst Christmas movie I've ever seen. <laughs> See, you're I've never sat in front, of a, in front of a comedy for two straight hours and didn't laugh once. It's oh, And the boy. story is ridiculous, too. It's just, uh, if you would like to email me and argue about it, that's fine. jbron at cjob.com. I will tear a strip up and down that movie all day long. It is one, not only the worst Christmas movie, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay. And Ebert did a really good trash review on it, too. Good. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I'm Anyways, sure I'm writing that down. My favorite movie, I'm with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. I like Die Hard. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Cowboy. Yippee-ki-yay. You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my life. This is simply the beginning. Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Welcome to the party, pal. Can never go wrong with the Die Hard. There's a Die Hard 2 clip in there as well, which is also a fine Christmas movie. Yeah, thumbs up to that. Do we have time for yours, Greg? I don't know. Let's go to yours. Yours is better. Uh, okay, well, mine is... I'll play the clip here, Jerry. It's this one. It's too late for you, kid. We're already in the house. We're gonna get you. Okay, come and get me. Oh! Daniel Stern screaming? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the at that, that moment that's where he stepped on the nail and then fell back down the stairs Ouch. of memory serves. So Hold on, yeah. I, it's one of the films that I try to watch every year. So How about Christmas Rush. A Christmas uh, Rush. Dear, I, I actually watch, I watched that this year. Really? It's Christmas also known Rush as Breakaway uh, yeah. in some markets. Yeah, yeah I watched that this year. Where did you find it? Around. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Monday morning. Hope you had a good weekend. If that's the, uh, maybe it's your Friday. Congratulations. You, you made it through your work weekend and your work week. We appreciate all that you do. Everyone that works the odd shifts, shift work, et cetera, frontline workers, we always like to give you a special shout out. Try to do that at least once a week. So uh, if you don't hear it, know that you're uh, very important to us and our community. Uh, Brett, lots of feedback on the text lines about your favorite Christmas movie. A lot of them are traditional movies, to be sure. Some of them are less traditional. One example of a traditional film is Scrooge with Alistair Sim. Uh, Pat says this is my favorite, and if not, it's not Christmas without viewing it at least once. Actually, I, I watch it twice every Christmas. And it's also, so I think it was called Scrooge in England, uh, but it was released as a Christmas carol in the United States. Either way, Alistair Sim, to me, is the definitive screen portrayal of Scrooge. And Kelly Moore confessed his love for Love Actually. No, 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 he didn't. He did. Was it Love Actually? Yeah. Okay, good. I want to make sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, this texture says, Love Actually, a Christmas story, Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation got several votes as their favorite worst movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Whoa. Oh, boy. Shot. Oh, Jerry is uh, Jerry. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of It's a Wonderful oh, Life. Oh, really? Oh, boy. Keith McCullough is uh, going to be angry about this. Keith McCullough loves that movie. So uh, I finally watched it for the very first time, start to finish, two Christmases ago. Mm-hmm. I'm on the fence, too, I have to say. <laughs> I have to say. It's kind of a depressing film. It's it's depressing, but, I mean, you have to give it props because, I mean, there's so many other stories that have been based on that story. 
Yeah. No, it's, uh, I need to, I've only seen it once, and uh, I think it was on TV. It's like a, a four hour production when they air it on broadcast television. Right, with so. all the, <laughs> Maybe all the that's why I don't like it. <laughs> so, it just takes too long. No, we were having a good conversation with this person. They're going to get blocked on text here with this. Home Alone is the worst. Christmas with the Cranks is the best. Them <laughs> <laughs> fighting words. 780-6868. Keep your traffic tips and your favorite Christmas movies coming. We're going to head down to or head up to Churchill, but before we do that, I just want to mention this before I forget. Saturday Went out to uh, to see how the other half lives and went to 529 Wellington. No, I was like, where are you going with this? And uh, Chris, our Somalia friend Christopher Sprague uh, got got us set up in the lounge. And uh, me and my friend uh, Kristen, we had some mac and cheese and some onion rings and some bread pudding. And uh, so thanks for to 529. Wonderful hospitality as always. It's uh, really just like... I want to go there more now. That lounge is so cozy. But there's one point where we're sitting there, and this young couple sort of wanders in to to walk past us. And then one of the servers jumps up and says, no, guys, leave them alone. And I thought, what is going on? Are they coming to ask Brett McGarry for his autograph? <laughs> is that what's happening here? <laughs> that is, leave him alone. <laughs> He's here. He doesn't want to be bothered. No, and then I look over at the bar. And I see Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. Yeah, Mr. White. Yes, science. Aaron Paul is in Winnipeg. He's shooting a movie called The Parts You Lose, which co-stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And he was there just to, you know, wanted to, I didn't even didn't see him walk in. And I, I kind of wonder, and I, I respect that they stepped in and said, no, 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 let him let enjoy his privacy. But I kind of wondered, did they just draw more attention to him by doing that? Uh, but he was there for like a half hour, and he left. Me being one of the couch potatoes, of course, I had a thousand questions for him, but I you know, let him have his drink. I just thought that was neat. So. Yeah, that is neat. Uh, um, my buddy Michael Wynn uh, always knows when these stars are in town and manages to get pictures with them. And sure enough, that's how I found out Aaron Paul was in town, was from Michael Wynn's Facebook <laughs> post of a picture with him and him and Mike. So uh, shout out to Mike this morning as uh, we start your Monday. Hope you're having a good start to your day. It's been a rough few months for the folks up in Churchill and residents there will soon be getting a big shipment of goods thanks to a new ice road. 60,000 pounds of goods were taken out of Gillum yesterday on three makeshift sleighs. Very apropos, I suppose, for this time of year. The goods should arrive in Churchill on Wednesday Day, so it will indeed be a Merry Christmas. 2018 could be a different story, though. Global News sent a team up to Churchill and spoke with the president of the Chamber of Commerce in the northern town, David Daly, who also owns a dog sled team. Here's a conversation with David Daly and Global's Brittany Greenslade, who started by asking him what life has been like up there for the last few months. You know, when you lose something as important as, as the rail line and the port, you know, you go through all kinds of stages of grief, and I think the town went through every one of them and you know now we're you know from, from getting angry to upset to you know despondent to you know now we're at the hopeful stage you know um you know it's been a few months in now and i think that uh you know with the christmas here and 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 the whole province of manitoba and and uh, and uh, you know like the manitoba metis federation and the christmas cheer board and all that stuff I, you know like we we're going to be fine through christmas you know, um, what we worry about is what what's going to happen after Christmas. I mean, that's for the community leaders all worry about that stuff, right? Because it's it's a pretty. 
pretty crazy. You know, we got quite a few months to go now without a rail line and the expense of every everything up here from gasoline to milk to, you know, to jobs and people don't have jobs and people don't have money and our pensioners, how are they going to make it through, you know? So that's some of the questions that we're asking um, and that we'll be looking at after Christmas here and make sure that, you know, that Churchill's not forgotten. We know that it's expensive up here, but to put it in perspective to people, you mentioned the food, you mentioned the fuel. How do you, how, for somebody that doesn't live up here, try to break that down for them, just how expensive it is. Well, you know, it, it's expensive. You know, before the train went out, uh, a four liter of milk was $6. Now it's $12. And that's with all the subsidies applied to it. A 10 pound bag of potatoes has cost as much as $22. I've seen six pork chops in the grocery store cost $36, you know? So, I mean, to eat, it's very expensive. A can of soup is $4. Uh, you know, a jar, uh, a package of cheese slices is $17 to $20, you know? Like, it's very, very expensive right now to to, to eat in Churchill, you know, with the train being out, so. What um, about gas? Well, you know, like, for instance, for a, a lot of us, like we're a tourism-based uh, industry right now in this town, and a lot has to do with burning fuel. And Omnitrax has raised the rate to two dollars and twenty cents a liter. So you know that's that, that's pricey. And uh, you know a lot of people, you know, aren't aren't driving as much as they used to, or out in their snow machines, or doing stuff like that. So you know, everyone's cutting back, and everyone's trying to you know. Try not to lose too much money before this rail line gets up and running again. Now you're hearing a conversation between Global News reporter Brittany Greenslade in Churchill speaking with the president of their Chamber of Commerce, David Daly, about how the town has coped in the last few months with a rail line being cut off from flood damage in the spring. You have businesses up here um, and one that relies a lot on tourism. How has the tourism industry been over the past couple months? Well, uh... For our fall bear season, it was it, it was good. You know, um, eighty percent of our traffic comes in by plane during bear season. So, you know, we we had a good a, a good four week seasons there. Uh, we lost a couple weeks because the first couple weeks of October usually is our train traffic that we've lost. You know, in the summer, you know, we survive off little spurts of business. You know, usually we have about six weeks of business in the summer. Uh, four to five weeks, six weeks of business in the fall, and then we have like six weeks of business in the Northern Light season. So we survive off weeks as businesses in Churchill. And uh, having the rail line out and losing 80% of our summer business, because 80% of our uh, traffic comes on the train in the summer, whereas it's opposite in the fall, 80% of our traffic comes on the planes. How do you survive? Well, you, 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 you just keep, put your head down and you keep going. I mean, Churchillians aren't people that roll over and die very easily, you know. We all help each other out. We all, you know, we're, we're all looking out for each other and we all want everyone to survive and pos- prosper. I think one of the things that the, as a business owner that we're looking at right now is that, you know, we can't get any lower than we are now. So we can only look up, you know, things can only get better. You know, we just had a meeting with Mr. Minister Carr from the feds there, and and he, and he's you know hopeful that we'll have a deal by spring, and that the you know that this line will be open again. And he's talking about the the Liberal government getting an Arctic strategy together, and Churchill will be the focal point of that. So let's let's hope that it's not just words, and that you know something comes to fruition with with what they're saying that they're going to do. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? I always see a light at the end of the tunnel. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, this is my home. I was born and raised here, you know, um, and uh, it's a very unique community. We are going to survive. Um, and we, we just need everyone to keep telling us how important we are to this country and and we need them to you know open the wallets and let's get this deal done with Omnitrux and get them out of here and let's get on with business. David Daly is the president of the Churchill Chamber of Commerce. That was a conversation that Brittany Greenslade of Global News had with Mr. Daly yesterday. You'll be hearing from Brittany throughout the day as this story continues. Uh, the focus on Ch- uh, Churchill really highlighted uh, in the last few days because of the opening of this new ice road, one that you can't even drive a truck on, Brett. They have to use these uh, these modified cats with these modified sleighs to do the what they might call the last mile. The last mile in this case is from Gillum to Churchill. I think it's 280 kilometres. It takes 36 hours to get the goods from Gillum to Churchill. So we'll be highlighting that. And, you know, I think both of us feel uh, very frustrated with how Churchill has been treated since the get-go here. And uh, I'm glad to know that we're casting a a bright light on this situation in uh, this northern community. When that music came on in the theater on Friday afternoon, I got goosebumps, I have to admit. 40 years later... That music at full volume in a in a theater still gets me every single time. So glad I went to see this movie. It's as good as everyone is saying, as far as I am concerned. And I know I'm not a couch potato. I may not have the authority to say that, but I am <laughs> suggesting that if you're on the fence about seeing The Last Jedi, go and see it. You will not be disappointed. There are a few things and a few... Uh, shall we say, um, things that I would change about the movie if I had the power to do so. But overall, uh, my boys gave it eight and a half, nine out of ten. So <laughs> I, I'm going to fall in. I'm going to give it eight and three quarters because i got to go right in the middle. I uh, gave it four couch cushions out of five on the couch potatoes over the weekend. So, yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed it. I have some gripes with it. But otherwise, uh, overall, I found it to be thrilling. And, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker... Uh, yeah, it was nice to see him back in action. We only see him for a, just a brief moment at the end of The Force Awakens, so it was nice to see him, even though he was not the Luke Skywalker you remember. So that's, uh, anyway. It's a good way to put it. Um, we got all sorts of text messages the other day just by saying one tiny thing about what happens in the story, and it wasn't. It was a very vague reference that we made at eight o'clock. And c- come on, guys, no spoilers. So we'll stay away from it all <laughs> okay. together today. Disney is saying that Star Wars: The Last Jedi has had the second biggest opening weekend of all time in Canada. The company says the blockbuster brought in seventeen million dollars in this country in its first weekend, and that's second only to its predecessor. The Force Awakens made $18.6 million in Canada in 2015. Overall in North America, The Last Jedi has pulled in $220 million. Again, that is second biggest opening of all time behind The Force Awakens, which made $247 million overall. And Lancashire teaches English and cinema studies at the University.
University of Toronto and is a big fan of Star Wars. And she says she loves studying the films because of the rich complexities, even though the plot seems kind of simple on the surface. It was the fact that I was trained as an academic in English literature and especially in the drama of the early modern period, Shakespeare's period. And immediately I recognized that there was a double plot going on in The Empire Strikes Back. And I thought, oh my, isn't this interesting? And you do get double plots in musicals and whatnot, but they're usually not very complicated. And as I watched this double plot unfolding, I started seeing the symbolic parallels between the plots. Luke going into a cave, for example, Han and Leia going into a cave uh, in the mouth of the space slug. And then there was, of course, that key sequence when Luke does go into the tree cave and one realizes that one is taking a trip inside Luke into his psyche, into his id, as it were. Uh, Luke thinks he is attacking Darth Vader and actually he is attacking himself. And suddenly I said to myself, my gosh, this movie is doing all sorts of really interesting things. But I couldn't believe at first that it was really as good as I thought it was. So I went back to see it two more times once we got back to Toronto and came out of that movie theater, you know, absolutely determined to go back, see the first film, uh, read all I could about what George Lucas was doing. Uh, This led me on into other popular film, and I ended up in the second half of my academic career uh, writing on and teaching popular film as well as literature. But Lancashire says she was an unusual case because she didn't pay attention when the original Star Wars movie was released. I did not see the 1977 film until after I'd seen The Empire Strikes Back in 1980. Um, And then there was an instant connection. I'd grown up in the province of Quebec in Montreal. And of course, we had no movie culture for youngsters when I was growing up there because of the law that children could not go into movie theaters on their own until they were 16. So one grew up in Montreal and the whole province of Quebec, really, at that time, but Montreal specifically, um, without being immersed in movies the way that most people were when they were youngsters. So I grew up without really very much interest in movies, and I wasn't paying much attention to them right up until 1980. And then in 1980, my husband and I had our young children with us on vacation in Prince Edward Island, and we were looking for something to keep them entertained. And there was this movie out, which had had good reviews, called The Empire Strikes Back. So we took them off to see it. And I came out of that movie theater a changed person in terms of my uh, impression of what popular movies were all about. Uh, I was just blown away by The Empire Strikes Back. So after that, I went back and looked at the original, of course, from 1977 and have been a Star Wars fanatic ever since. And who could blame you? Been a fanatic myself since, since 1977. Went to Landmark Cinemas, Grant Park, which is where I saw the original. Uh, they did not have recliners back in 1977 <laughs> like they do yeah. now. I was very impressed. I, I thought that this would be the mark for me as to how good the movie was because I'd been up you know, for several hours when we went to go see the film. I figured if I'm lying down, there's no way I'm going to stay awake unless it's a good movie. I didn't doze off even for five seconds in those beautiful recliners at the uh, Grant Park Cinema. The Disney blockbuster, The Last Jedi, by the way, is only the fourth 
film to open above $200 million in North America. Aside from The Force Awakens, the others are The Avengers and Jurassic World. It also had good reviews, 93% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences, according to CinemaScore, endorsed it, giving it an A. But here's what something that's interesting uh, that happened over the weekend. The audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes is somewhere around the 56 mark. That's a huge gap between what the critics are saying and what the audience on that site is saying. And you know what? Just Google Star Wars Backlash, and you'll find a whole bunch of articles about why people are complaining about the movie, and they're saying it's awful. And Well, how do you account for that? How well, do you account for that sort of disparity? I think there are people are, well, one... I will say this doesn't this is not a spoiler but I will say that the last Jedi is tough to watch at times from an emotional standpoint and as well questions that were posed in the first movie are not answered in this one so I think people feel like the filmmakers are giving the middle finger to fans of this series so they're they're taking to the internet and they're vo- I, I I think of comic book guy from The Simpsons. I'm going to take to the internet to voice my displeasure. It's That's usually what happens. It's this kind of vocal minority of people who go online and, and scream and yell about it. And I'm sure in seven days they'll calm down. But it, it is fascinating. Just Star Wars Backlash, Google it, and you'll see all sorts of articles detailing this. Fans of the Winnipeg Jets who are also on Twitter mm-hmm. will know exactly what you're talking about. There's something called Jets Twitter, kind of the dark underbelly of conversation as it pertains to the Winnipeg Jets. You can find it on Twitter without any difficulty whatsoever. Lots of conversation, lots of back and forth between people who use fancy stats and the new age uh, analytics in hockey and people who just watch the game and enjoy it. So I think I understand where you're coming from a little bit. And uh, we were trying to compare hockey fandom to the obsession with Star Wars on Friday. And uh, I think there's a little bit of a a correlation there for sure. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you and Shadow Davis standing by. Yeah, there's lots of good things, lots of cool things in Australia. Some things that they should just keep there. Foster's Lager, I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Uh, And the flu this season might be another one. Here's uh, Shadow Davis to tell you why the flu could hit us hard this year. And it might be part of, uh, well, it might be down under's fault. Here's Shadow. Good morning. So we've been hearing for a while now we could be, could be, in for a pretty bad flu season based upon what they went through in Australia earlier this year. We've already got some significant activity in localized areas in Canada, which we'll get to in just a second. And it's early. According to Health Canada and several different provincial specialists, it's very early on. Flu season generally doesn't begin until mid-January or early February, so that's why the concern. So getting back to Australia for just a bit, At the end of their flu season, which is the end of August, they had two and a half times the number of infections and double the number of hospitalizations as compared to the previous year. And the culprit is a strain of flu they hadn't anticipated, which means they didn't include it in this year's flu shot. Generally, they include protection against three strains of flu just to make sure. This year, they chose based upon a recommendation from the World Health Organization, A slash H1N1, A slash H3N2, and B slash Victoria. Here's the problem. The shot does not provide exact matches for the H3N2 and B strains, which are now circulating across the country. 
Specialists are suggesting this B strain could be the biggest problem in Canada this year because the B strain circulating isn't a Victoria lineage as predicted by the WHO, but a B-slash-Yamagata strain. Different flu bug altogether, you see. Last year in Canada and the U.S., the vaccine was found to be only 35% effective in preventing cases of H3N2 and in Australia which used the identical vaccine as Canada's this past season, its effectiveness against H3N2 was far less, only about 10%. <laughs> Dr. Allison McGeer is the Director of Infection Control at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. She said lab testing in Ontario is turning up quite a lot of B. Yamagata, nearly as many Bs as H3N2, but she said it's too early to predict what strain will predominate or how severe the season will be. As we look at the latest available map of flu outbreaks across the country, this goes back to December 9th. It appears Manitoba, for the most part, has been spared, at least for now, with just a few sporadic cases. However, there are many more localized cases in southern Alberta, southern Saskatchewan, and all over Ontario. So if you're visiting those areas over Christmas or people from those areas are coming to visit you... Game over, man! Yeah. Game over! Having said that, if the predominant flu being spread this year is the B virus, that's kind of good news. Experts suggest B strains are not as violent as A strains in terms of symptoms. They can still be bad, though. If it is the H1N1 strain that becomes the issue, well, that can cause some nastier symptoms. And it can also be passed to animals, whereas B strains can't. Either way, wash your hands. I've washed mine three times since starting this segment already. And try not to touch your face, chew your nails, and like that. And doctors are still recommending, even though the flu shot may only be effective between 10 and 35%, get it anyway, because 10 and 35% is still better than nothing. And start vitamins and get some sleep. With those things going for you, you'll probably still get it, but it might not be as bad as it would have. Back to Mac, 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 and McGarry. <sighs> Sanitizing my hands as we speak. <laughs> Everyone in my house got the flu mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, except me. I think it's mind over matter. Sometimes you can will it not to come, and I think that you can, like Shadow said, get your sleep, get your rest, stay, stay uh, hydrated is really a big deal. Uh, I have no scientific basis to say that I fought off the flu. I can't say that, but in my heart of hearts, I believe I did. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I think, yeah. well, it, it, listen, it can, even if you get sick, if you have that positive attitude about it, it can make it easier. I have a cold right now. I'm trying to, I, whenever I get it, a cold, yeah, it, it sucks, but I just try to push through. I still try to go for a walk every day, just business as usual. I just so happens to be, I got to blow my nose more often than usual. That's how I try to, to act and it usually helps. Sometimes you get sick and like if you get strep throat or whatever. I had mono once and didn't matter how positive I thought about it. I was Sometimes sick. you're not winning that battle. <laughs> I totally acknowledge that. On Saturday, Alexander tried to get out of curling on Saturday. Dad, I got a, I got a runny nose. I think I got to stay home. And I'm like, you're not staying home, man. You're going to curling. Nice try. You got to get up. You got to move around. It's good for you. Get your circulation going. And by the time he got off the ice, he had color back in his cheeks. I said, you glad you came? He said, yeah, 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 it was a good call. So sometimes you just got to fight through, man.
combining uh, the week, of, I don't know what to say. Combining the week of Christmas uh, and uh, the latest Star Wars film. That's really all we can attribute that to. And uh, Jerry, you. You always find the appropriate music, but I've never seen you laughing this hard before. <laughs> it's just completely ridiculous. How did you find this? How did this come into our lives? Uh, that is actually from Christmas in the Stars, the Star Wars Christmas album. Oh, there's an oh. entire album of songs like this. Yeah, yes. there was a full Christmas special, right? Oh, the Christmas special is something to behold. My word, my word. All I want <laughs> for Christmas is a Wookiee. Um, 8.37, Macklin McGarry, it is the Shadow Davis Show. And as mentioned, uh, the Star Wars uh, series uh, series continued this weekend. <laughs> Can't get over that song. The Last Jedi <laughs> debuted. It's the second uh, largest opening for a movie ever in Canada, surpassed only by another Star Wars movie, right? Episode 7, The Force Awakens. <laughs> so uh, Shadow Davis has his thoughts on all this. Good morning, a sparkling weekend for Star Wars The Last Jedi in terms of box office. Second highest all-time opening weekend just behind. What was the other one from a couple years ago called? The Force The Force Awakens, is that it? Excuse me, but I'm not a Star Wars guy. Which actually gives me a unique perspective in all this, which I'll get to in just a second. Anyhow, The Last Jedi scored $220 million domestically and globally $450 million. So far, opening weekend. Of course, it's expected to go well beyond a billion, just like the last one did. I haven't seen it yet, and I don't know every character's name. Sure, I know the big ones, but all the minor characters and their backstories, not a clue. I also know the basic story, but I'm still foggy on the little details and subplots. And for the life of me, I just can't understand this Star Wars craziness. <laughs> Having said that, I understand it's quite possible a Star Wars junkie might be looking at me right now as though I've just spit on their mother. But believe me when I tell you, that's not the case at all. All I'm saying is that I just don't get it. And apparently some moviegoers don't either. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, for example, the movie grading website, you'll see the critics have given Star Wars The Last Jedi a 93% rating. It's certified fresh. However, as far as the audience score, only 56%. I felt a great disturbance in the force. As if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror. Conversely, a movie like Justice League gets a rotten score of 41% from critics, but an audience score of 79%. I'm getting the sense there could be some kind of fixing going on with that website, but anyhow. These hashtags, Star Wars The Last Jedi Awful <laughs> and Star Wars The Last Jedi Bad are currently trending on Twitter, and this is apparently because of some rather gaping plot holes in the film, and these three big revelations that rabid fans had been expecting and had been teased with since The Force Awakens came out. Well, according to many fans and critics, these things are in the movie, but they don't resolve the way they want them to be. For example, the mystery of who is Rey. After seeing The Force Awakens a while back, even I got into that question. Is she a Skywalker? Is she a Kenobi? Who is Rey anyhow? Well, they do get to that. Apparently, it takes the entire movie to do it, and without giving out spoilers... Well, I won't, I won't bother here. Let's just say fans are extremely ticked about the answer to that one. The next one is, who is Snoke, the supreme leader? How powerful is he? Where does he come from and all that? Well, fans are upset about the resolution to that. And finally, what's Luke Skywalker been doing on this planet Ock 2 all these years? Nobody really knows. And when Rey shows up, apparently it's a big disappointment to the rabid Star Wars fan. They wanted to see a lot more than what they got between Luke and and Ray. But again, 
no spoilers here. And how can I spoil it, really? I haven't even seen the thing. There are many, many, many fans who are upset and questioning whether or not they'll go see the ninth installment in this franchise, which is set for release December of 2019. However, this movie did outperform expectations in its opening weekend, and I'd be lying if I said I have no plans to see it, because I do. I'd just rather wait a while until the crowds bleed off and we can watch in peace. That is to say, without the rabid fans reciting every word in the movie seconds before the actual character does, which I've seen happen in Star Wars films in the past. As far as the franchise goes, could this be the beginning of the end? Have people reached their Star Wars threshold? The next month will tell. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Oh, Shadow, <laughs> it's only beginning, my friend. Star Wars Land, Disneyland, and Disney World, Star Wars Hotels at both those locations. I think you're going to see the Star Wars uh, fascination and obsession only grow over the next decade or so. I could be out on a limb here all by myself, Brett, but that's the way I see it. I think that you've got now three or four generations of people who have loved these films for, since 1977. And uh, my kids are more obsessed with the films than I ever was. And so I think this is just really the beginning. Solo, a Star Wars story. That's the Han Solo movie that is set to debut May 25th, 2018. Episode 9 is scheduled to debut, I believe, December 20th, of 2019, and then there's Kenobi, a Star Wars story, which is also due. Ryan Johnson, the, the director of The Last Jedi, has been given the reins by Lucasfilm to write and direct a new trilogy that with all new characters. So that is interesting because the, the possibilities for stories that could be told out of Star Wars really are endless. Uh, like the canon, as they refer to, which, by the way, uh, just as a quick trivia note, the, the guy in charge of sort of keeping track of the Star Wars canon, Pablo Hidalgo, is from Winnipeg. He is uh, he's a big deal in the Star Wars universe because he's in charge of it. He's basically much. in charge of the history, making sure that the continuity and everything lines up and that nothing overlaps and things aren't left out. And uh, that is a pretty large responsibility, right? What a cool job that would I know. Be. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he went to Creative Communications at Red River. My God, he got a really cool job. So yeah, we're we're gonna Disney is gonna milk this for everything it's worth. There's gonna be new Star Wars movies. I bet you every year for at least the next decade. So it's kind of like superhero movies where I think people will, it, it, you'll, I'll still get the goosebumps, but it's going to lose steam every single, every year, just a little bit more to the point where it's cool, but it's not, oh my God, it's a new Star Wars movie. Cool. If that makes sense. It makes complete sense. Uh, but uh, that sound that you hear in the background, that's the printing press, printing the money, counting the money. Spending the money. The town of Gimli has said no to marijuana shops. Gimli has become the first Manitoba municipality to vote against allowing any marijuana shops once it becomes legal next or legal in the summer. Gimli Mayor Randy Warnick joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Mayor Warnick, thank you for joining us today. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. We appreciate you taking some time, Randy. Why this decision uh, on behalf of the citizens of Gimli? Okay, the reason uh, we said no at this time, and people need to understand this, the door is not shut permanently. 
we are just being a little more cautious, I guess, than the other municipalities. We're not comfortable with what, how this is being rolled out by the provincial government. During the statement, the finance minister made with the rest of the, um, the country's premiers about the 75-25 tax uh, sharing. He said there was a, a, a lot of unknown costs that they needed to look at. Well, our fear is that those unknown costs, if, we, if they don't know them, we don't know them, and we don't want to be saddled with it. The province has not discussed any tax sharing with any of the municipalities. We're just being cautious. Eventually, there will be a, um, one of those stores in Gimli. We just want to make sure that we're doing it right the first time and not try and fix a problem later. So was this maybe just a, a situation where you, you didn't didn't have enough time in the deadline to, to make that initial decision is December 22nd. Um, so exactly. that was, you weren't given a whole lot of time for this. Well, we didn't get a whole lot of time and we didn't get a whole lot of information. It, it seems to be scattered. I was at the AMM uh, during that presentation there. I didn't get a lot out of it. And then you know, when you got the finance minister saying that they're not going to sign on to the 7525 because of unknowns, well, it kind of puts us in a position that, well, if you don't know, why would we agree to something until we know exactly how this is going to affect our community? And, and, it's, and people have to understand, it's not no forever. It's only until we can get enough information to make sure that this is the best thing for our community. And I think you could easily argue that most of the responsibility for enforcement and dealing with things that might go sideways sideways on this may in fact lay at the feet and end up being a municipal responsibility down the road. Exactly. And the province has never said that they're going to tax share with us. So right now, the arm of Gimli pays $400,000 a year for policing. And if this is going to be laid at our feet, say another 100000 or, or plus, mm-hmm. well, how, where do we get the money from? We have to go to the taxpayers. Now, is that is that a responsible government? I don't think so. No, Randy, I've just been handed a, a piece of paper here. Jeff Courier uh, has, he's going to, his show's on from 10 until 1. He's going to be speaking with the mayor of Winkler at 10.30. And it looks like they are not going to vote this week because they don't have enough info. So um, do you have any sort of reaction to that, a snap reaction? Well, yeah, I think, you know what, I think Mayor Harder is being, uh, being prudent. I mean, he did make a comment that this was political suicide, and I'm seeing this community, uh, people, you know, it is, it's, it's become divisive. Our community is being, you know, divided over something that, that is, that it should not be divided about. And, um, you know, I wish we would have taken that extra time. Unfortunately, we didn't. We thought, you know, let's make this decision. But understand, we're only deferring this. It is not no forever. It's only a deferment until we get more information. I don't think anyone could argue with the responsible stand you've taken on this. And we've been having this conversation for years, right, Mayor? This is something that was coming. We knew it was coming. And uh, Premier Pallister was a little bit of a lone wolf several months ago when he went to Ottawa and said, you know what? Maybe we're not ready for this. Maybe we need to press pause at the federal level for this change. And I think we're starting to realize that there were a whole litany of things that weren't even considered in bringing this legislation into place uh, on behalf of all Canadians by the federal government. Is that an overstatement? Oh, no, it's not. You know what? I was thinking last night, and one of the comments made at the AMM, it took 15 years to repeal prohibition. I remember a time, and I might be dating myself, when you had to go, I went with my grandfather to the liquor store in Central Manitoba, where he had to fill out a chip of paper 
and the whiskey was hidden behind the cloth. And it wasn't until the 70s where you could walk into the store in sundown and actually see the product you were you know, buying. And here the federal government wants us to make a decision to, uh, to deal with a, an illegal product for decades and deal with it within a year. Something wrong with that picture. Now, Randy, uh, wondering, has there, what, is, uh, what are people in your community saying? Have you done any consultations with them uh, leading into the vote that you had? No, we, uh, we didn't. And uh, right now, the way Facebook is exploding, uh, council's being trashed. And I'll be quite honest with you, you know, we're being trashed on one side, yet other, on the other side, people are saying this is the responsible way to do it. On the other side, we're being archaic. So it's like I say, it's, it's divided the community. And it's, and it's unfortunate because as council, we're only trying to do the best for our community. And if people would have read the resolution and if it would have been you know, reported properly that this is only no to defer it until we get more information and, a, and more, more guarantees for the province, um, it's, it's, it's really casting a bad light in our community. And that's, that's unfortunate. So how soon do you figure there might be an opportunity to revisit this? Could you go into the new year, early into the new year, once, you've, uh, feel, once you feel comfortable you've got enough information on this? What will be the trigger point for you to have that conversation and to maybe take it to council for another vote? And or is there a potential for this to go to a public plebiscite? It, you know what? It, it will as soon as we get, uh, get more information from the government. Where is there, is, if and is there going to be tax sharing and these so-called unknown costs, are we going to be burdened with them without any financial compensation or is that going to be our, you know, our provincial responsibility? We need to know and have that comfort level that this isn't going to be a burden on our you know, taxpayers. But, you know, guys, let's, let's be honest. It's coming. July 1st is coming. And whether you uh, uh, smoke cannabis or not, that is not the issue. It's just that we want to make sure this is the best thing for our community. All right, Gimli Mayor Randy Warnick, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Anytime. Have a good Christmas, guys. And you too, Randy. You too. Thank, thank you very much. Great candor on that uh, from the mayor, right? And and really an open discussion and, and just says, hey, we didn't have enough time to really to put rules and we feel it's irresponsible for us to vote yes or no on this at this point in time. Uh, you know, they're pressing pause. That's really what the no vote equals here. It's not a no forever. It's a no for now because we can't answer all these unknowns. And if something comes across your desk, Brett, with a whole bunch of unknowns and question marks, how responsible is it for you to to sign off and go, yeah, we'll move forward based on filling that out? Because some of those unknowns are tiny. Some of them are gigantic. It sounds like in the mind of this uh, community anyway, uh, the unknowns are too large and the risk's too big to, to say yes right now. Yeah, it, uh, it is indeed, uh, you know, they're just trying to be prudent. And, of course, we got some text messages just as he was saying, look, we're getting, uh, we're getting trashed on Facebook here. Uh, we, got, we were getting text messages that were along those lines. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.